You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. For my fellow recovering workaholics in the house, today's episode will feel like a deep cleansing breath of fresh air and a hug. Author, speaker, coach, and TED talker Renee Deneen was a self-proclaimed doing addict who left her seven-figure executive leadership role in biotech to pursue a more meaningful life of less to find and do work that mattered most to her without sacrificing all of the other parts of a healthy, happy, and whole life. Today on Thrive, she pulls back the curtain on what that doing burnout can look like and sheds light on which of the five types of doers you might be. She gives warning signs to look for to know if you're treading dangerously close to doing too much. She gives practical ways to go about rescheduling your day while recovering from a doing addiction, and she beautifully breaks down the way to bring being and doing into authentic harmony for yourself. Stay tuned through this episode. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and welcome, Renee. Hi. Hey, welcome to Thrive. (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. I know. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since you first reached out because Everything that you are already doing is what I have been personally working on and thinking about for a while now, mainly this idea of undoing the doing, (laughs) which is like a very big thing for you here. So for all of our fellow recovering workaholics in the house, as we all silently raise our hands in solidarity, uh, buckle up and listen in because this is going to be good. (laughs) And we're really pumped to bring you this conversation. So first and foremost... Can you introduce yourself to our lovely listeners and share a bit of your own personal path um, that has really just led you to where you are now as an author, a coach, consultant, and a TEDx speaker with, I think what, you're at over maybe 600,000 views on your TED Talk, which is incredible. Right. Which means we're all in good company as doing addicts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, walk us through your story. Yeah. So, um, I, I grew up in California. I'm from California. I grew up down South and I was raised by two workaholics. So just to note, there's definitely a modeling effect here. Um, and I was really blessed to fall upon, um, work, right. Actually I went to college down South and then I moved up to the San Francisco Bay area for graduate school. And, it was the heart of the dot-com, the first, you know, the real boom, we say, um, the true boom. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I don't say that to say, oh, I'm so lucky, although I am. I I, I was able to um, really define what it is that I wanted to do at a pretty early age, not so dissimilar from you. And then I was supported by individuals and sort of where, what was going on in the world at large to, to do that pretty quickly, which really was to help ease pain and suffering in corporate America. And I had seen my mother suffer through that. Um, my father was in public service, but also very, very dedicated. And I just had seen the, the, the toll that your working life can take on you very early on and, and what it can pull you from and what you 
maybe mentally start to believe that you have to sacrifice in order to be, you know, prosperous and successful. So that really intrigued me pretty young watching my own parents. And then um, I got my degree in organizational psychology, the big dot-com boom in the Bay Area. And I just started um, diving into that work and, and mostly working with leadership and teams. And how can you be both happy and productive at work? I mean, it sounds so simple, right? Why wouldn't we all want that? Why wouldn't every company want that for you? But um, some do and some don't. So my journey traversed, well, instead of helping people, which I think I have, and I definitely did, I shouldn't even say that in a small way, but uh, I became a full-fledged workaholic. I became totally married to my work, addicted to the doing, the next goal, the next fill, you know, kind of fix, really. It feels very much like a fix. And um, at the mean, in the meantime, I started to make up a bunch of reasons why that was okay. Um, and so I did that for over 20 years until I, my body started to say, um, no more that included, um, working in the Bay area, moving into a plant structure, moving overseas for five years, coming back, having two children, getting married, you know, all the things. And it finally just became too much. So my body started to say, uh, uh, slow down. Um, I developed a tremor and a stutter. Uh, they thought I had MS. It was just stress. So I had done all that to myself. I devalued sleep like it was, oh, I'll have cake with dinner or not. You know, it was very optional for me. Um, I, I really started to like say to myself, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And again, that sounds so ridiculous. Um, and um, so I just became unhealthy and detached from my day-to-day -day life and the people that I love the most. And, um, and I also really had been in sort of high-tech biotech and I wanted to work in a kind of broader landscape and help people more broadly. And so um, it's just time for me to leave. So I did that, gosh, going on seven years. And um, my life today, while I do similar work, is vastly different. But I'll hold off on what's different about it till more of our conversation unfolds. Yeah, I know. I We were talking a little bit before hitting record, too, just about how certain cultures can really foster that, too. So if you are someone who is kind of naturally more inclined to go, 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 to do things, to achieve, it, it can feel kind of sink or swim. And maybe you feel like you're swimming for a, a while in certain environments, but I feel like then sometime I go on and you might realize you're not really swimming. You're kind of more drowning. Yeah. And, or even if you thought you were swimming, you realize like, man, swimming forever makes you kind of tired <laughs> and it's not really how we should live a healthy whole life. So I'm also curious, do you happen to know your Enneagram number? Oh yes, girl. I'm a seven with an eight wing and I am, I am her. Yes. Um, I, te I teach Enneagram. Yeah, I teach Enneagram. In fact, I was just in San Diego yesterday teaching it to a really love, loving, lovable team. Um, so that also feeds it for sure. Yeah. You know, kind of your orientation towards identity. And for me, what I didn't realize for your listeners who know the Enneagram with the seven is that I was doing a lot of that to avoid being still and just sitting in the quiet and sort of visiting the dark and light parts of my day or my life or even other people's life. And, and one of the things I did became very clear to me as I was leaving as well as I need to sit in the mess a little longer. I need to be able to live in the dark and enough to understand it, learn from it, both for myself and as a coach for my clients. So I was also yeah. ready to um, um, maybe lessen the emphasis I put on being the girl that people go to just to feel better, you know, mm. but I also wanted to be the woman people come to, to, to sit longer and to understand and to learn and to do the work, to do the deeper work. 
Okay. I love this also because I am not an Enneagram expert like you, but I'm a three wing too. Mm-hmm. And I'm already think I'm already seeing now my wheels are spinning because now I'm curious. I wanted to ask you too, what to break down the different types of doers, because you break this down so fabulously in your Ted talk. But if you can give everyone the run through here, I feel like that's now going to tie also into Enneagram because my own personal, where I would stem, so to speak, as a doer is probably different than yours. And I'm wondering how much of our, our Enneagram differences also have to do with that now. Now I'm like, Ooh, break this down for us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and threes and sevens are sometimes look alike types. Um, but their reasons for doing are quite different. So, um, I love that you're mixing in the Enneagram because several people who know Enneagram and hear my Ted talk say, Oh, did you marry those on purpose? the Enneagram is my landscape, but more than that, kind of the behavioral topography of the human condition is my landscape. So I had to go there at least to a certain degree. Um, Okay. So there are five types of doers. Um, There are more, but five main ones. And these are the ones I've spent the last two years really studying the, uh, the achieving doer, right? That's the doer that does to get it done. It's linked to their identity, who they are and what they do is intermeshed to a degree of Performing, yes, and achieving, but but also a disconnect from who they really are beyond that. Then there's the avoiding doer, which uh, resonated with me. And this is the doer that just stays busy to, to not be in the mess and to kind of avoid the bigger questions and the bigger challenges in life. We have the perfecting doer, the one who uh, needs to do it themselves because there's uh, a right way and a wrong way. Um, and they oftentimes um, aren't... Uh, it's not, they're not satisfied with how others might do it. And so they just do it all themselves. Then we have the controlling doer. And that's the doer who, um, frankly speaking, kind of can't wait for anyone else to do it. So it's just easier for them to do it. Um, that also makes them feel in control. Um, and so that's a big driver. And then the last one is a supporting doer. You know, the one that really does because one, they're really good at doing for others. Um, and it's to the degree, again, where their identity is very tied and, you know, how you see me, what I do for you being of service is my identity. And so they get into a lot of, uh, of yeses as a result of that. So all of these doers kind of share that addiction to yes is better than no, um, you know, to do is to uh, contribute. Um, all those doers have a pretty rich um, narrative behind those motivation, you know, their motivation for doing is very rooted in their identity. So it's very um, a mesh with their day-to-day lives and who they are and who they believe they are. And so they all suffer from that challenge of, you know, who am I, if I'm, if I'm not doing, and you mentioned in sort of this different sort of communities and cultures and societies, and I lived overseas five years. So it's not just an American thing, but definitely we're well known for it. It's what we are founded on this idea that, you know, um, I, I will only be acknowledged if I'm doing that, that, that those accolades and that, um, that drive to perform is heavily influenced by how the world treats us as a result of that. So it's hard to separate. It's pretty textured. Mm -hmm. And as you were going through all of those, I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm the achieving doer. And I feel like that's probably the Enneagram three in me. Absolutely. And then you're mentioning the perfectionist. I'm like, that sounds like a one. Yep. And the controlling (laughs) is more the eight and avoiding is a little more the seven or the nine, you know, for different reasons, but yeah, there's definitely an archetype overlay there. Yeah. It's just fascinating to me how so much of it 
ties back to who we are at our core and our core motivations. And I think that's also probably where some of the danger lies because it feels so natural and inherent in, t- in terms of who we are, where that's where break identifying it is like challenge number one, but then breaking free from it can feel so difficult at times, I think, because then we realize like, oh shoot, I don't know who I am if I'm not doing literally this, Mm -hmm. this have this, just if that's not my way of life. So can you walk us through maybe some of the warning signs that fellow doers, fellow workaholics might experience if, if we do start walking that dangerous line where burnout might be on the horizon, or it might be kind of that, kind of that time where we're like, all right, this is a wake up call. Something's got to change. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news and the bad news is that our body knows first, you know, that's the good news. Cause the body's always with us. Like our mind and our heart sort of kind of come in and out of presence, but our body's here and it takes a, a, the brunt of the burden of our doing life. And so if we can start to tune into the physical manifestation of our addictions um, and for me doing is an addiction. And I want to just say for other um, uh, addictions out there that I, I did really was very conscious in choosing to name it addiction because my doing life had me, I didn't have it. I, I had lost control of my ability to choose for myself and it started to um, you know, sabotage my health, my relationships, my quality of presence and all the other good things that you know us humans, when we're striving to have a beautiful, big, beautiful life and to really thrive and not just survive, um, you know, have to question. So let's see warning signs. Um, do you raise your hand in a work meeting to a project, even though you don't want to do it, or you don't have time, you just can't help yourself, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, and that could be for any of those five doers that could happen. Um, do you say yes, when you mean no to social events, do you host Christmas every year, but absolutely hate it. Um, you know, so those things where you say yes, and within a second, you realize, oh my God, what have I done? Right. I've put myself into a predicament now. And I think where I finally, and as a working mother as well, and a married woman and a, and a woman who loves her friends and loves to travel, right. All those other things. What I realize every time I say yes to that, I, I say no to the other thing and it, or I say, I'm going to do both of these kind of half halfway because we, we only have so much energy, time, effort, resource in our tanks. And when it runs out, it runs out. And so it starts to bleed and you start to say yes to things that you can't do well, start to feel regretful, you start to feel guilty. So all those feelings associated with kind of shame and regret start to surface. Um, for me and my body, um, it manifested as uh, I became a total insomniac, like absolutely could not sleep on my own. Our body was so thrown, not only by my schedule, but by this sort of adrenaline rush and the adrenal system overload that I'd put on myself for years. Um, again, that sort of um, not being able to think clearly, you could have a tremor, just something that tells you your nervous system is, is on overhaul. Um, so if you can start to tune into that, great. And then just look at the quality of your presence. Are you able to just come into presence when you need to? Can you actually stop, quiet the mind and be fully with someone? Um, for me, the answer was no. For me now, it's most of the time, which is great. Um, and, and then do you just start to feel um, empty? You know, like it's never going to be enough. That next yes is never going to fill that need that you have to feel safe, connected, loved, whole, wholesome, you know, all those things that we search for in life. 
um, starts to just drift away almost like a boat in the ocean and you're stuck on land and you just, all you can do is watch it. Um, and you you kind of feel helpless to it. So those were some of my signs, which I can speak to more directly, but also some of the signs I've seen in other of my clients who are really struggling with this as well. It, the struggle is real. And it's not just to say, just say no half the time. Oh my gosh, I wish it was that easy, but you really have to rewire your brain about what it looks like to be you and, and what you want to be valued and remembered for. And um, there was a Maya Angelou quote that I use in some of my keynotes around people forget what you did, what you said, you know, but they won't forget how they felt when they were with you. And that just became more important to me than being valued for my ability to get things done. Yeah. Yeah. You just touched on this a little bit, but if, if you come to the realization that, okay, this is what we're struggling with here. It's an addiction to doing, but it feels so ingrained into who you are at that point in time, what would you recommend as kind of like the first step to start undoing that, especially if your gut reaction is like, oh no, I'm about to have an identity crisis. Yeah. Like, cause that's, <laughs> I feel like that might be what is a really scary realization for some people at first where you just are like, wait a minute, this I'm, I want to change. I know something has to change. I'm willing to do the work, but all of a sudden it feels like I'm about to open Pandora's box and it might be really messy what's inside. So do you have any tips for kind of getting through that or kind of starting that process so that you don't have a full-blown identity crisis along the way, but it still feels like you in the, along the way. Right. No, beautifully said. And I, you, you, really kind of narrated the dilemma. It's really a dilemma. Oh, gosh, you know, for me, there was m- more signs that, and then my body finally was like, hello, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get your attention. So your I had body to, was like, I will stop if you won't. <laughs> absolutely. And burnout is also real. And I was right on the cusp with that. And I definitely, I would say I, I, ha- I was burnt out. Thankfully, I, I didn't fall into a full-fledged burnout where my body really did just shut down, or you know, I got divorced, or some other traumatic event that is a result of my doing. Um, so, <clears throat> here's what I'm going to say for those listening, you know, waiting, like, what's the magic bullet? And um, who you are, what you've done, and what you have is already enough. And until you believe that, this undoing the doing in a very do crazy world that isn't going to want you to stop doing. By the way, it's not going to make it easy for you. Um, but if you can't fundamentally fall into that belief, this is going to be real hard, you know, and I say that mantra to myself almost every day. And, um, I've been out seven years. It took me a good four years to actually appreciate this idea that my time is precious and that my calendar doesn't have to be full and that I don't have to be, um, imprisoned by my to-do list. You know, I started to just re- I really have reoriented my whole life. So for those who are kind of like on the cusp of this or worried about it, I would just ask, you know, who are you without your doing? Um, the essence of you has no relationship to what you achieve. It really doesn't. Uh, it, it's more connected to what lights you up, what impact you want to have on the world. You know, it's like, what would happen if you just focused on those critical few things, those things that you either love or just really have the impact that you desire in the world and let the rest fall away. You know, it's kind of like, like go deep rather than wide and, you know, reorient your identity more to, um, am I living the life that I really desire? You know, am I choosing my life? Um, does my life have me? Um, am I 
standing in my truth is who I am and what I do aligned, right? Am I authentic? Those are the questions I would start to ask myself and, um, and then just sit, sit in the answers. Don't give it, don't make it another reason to sort of beat yourself up or kind of add a, another regret list to your already big one, you know, but really just this opportunity to say like, okay, so if I wanted to show up in the world, authentic and whole and have the impact on the people and places that I really desire, you know, what, what would I need to shift mm-hmm. and just, you know, take that first step by asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. I love something you've said before too, about authentic in action mm-hmm. and that not being a choice between being and doing, but rather bringing the two into harmony. So can you mm-hmm. unpack that for us too? Because I think so many folks feel conflicted and maybe sense this tension if, or when you try to stop doing, 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 because the alternative can feel like, you know, meditating in a meadow or sitting and staring at a wall. And it feels uncomfortable or pointless or inauthentic where you're just like, all right, this is unproductive. This isn't, this can't be it. So where does that, where does that harmony, where does it lie and what does it look like? Yeah. Being versus doing Um, a short little funny story. My, one of my best friends in college. So people say, is this just work? You know, and I'm like, oh no, if I was really being honest, it's since I was like, you know, a child, this, this uh, unwillingness to um, be bored. Um, this really relentless dedication to, um, you know, achieving all my goals, you know, that kind of like, I'm going to make the most out of life. And then your body starts to say, really, is that what you're up to? <laughs> or is it driven by something else like ego, you know, or it could be survival. You know, I, I don't want to say that, like, sometimes we have to get stuff done. Like an authentic inaction is not about doing nothing. It's about sitting with the choice long enough to decide. It really is. And it can be a second. It could be a minute. It could be a month. It could be a year. But knowing what type of space is needed to make that authentic decision to move from inauthentic action to authentic action. So I am not a no-doer. Like people would not look at my life and be like, look at Renee, just taking the day as it comes, right? And (laughs) Look at her just, wow, she just looks so relaxed in her own skin and so satisfied. And yet she looks like she's doing nothing. No, uh, I'm not that woman. Uh, and I, I am a woman though, who is clear and who is now very much connected to that kind of head, heart, body um, wisdom that comes with practicing the um, very, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's not just mindfulness or meditation, but it's really this practice of choosing for yourself. And just giving yourself enough space to separate yourself just enough to see, you know, is that something I really want to do or not? Is that something I have to do? Or just checking in and being like, what is my relentless pursuit really about in this moment? Um, And so when we do that, we connect our being and our doing because we come into into choice. Also want to say, sometimes you've got to just do something because someone's paying you to do it, or it's an obligation in your family system. Or, um, you know, you need to go get your car washed. It's dirty. Like, you know, yes, there's things you have to do. But most of the time we can choose. You know, let's let's just give it a number, you know, 85 to 90% of the time we can say yes or say no and people will respect us for it. They may not like it. So if you're a person that also is like, well, I want people to like me. I want people to, um, to uh, accept me. You know, I want to I feel needed. You know, this is going to feel like a death. Um, you know, and, and the good news is that we teach people how to, how to work with us. 
So once you break that cycle of like, oh, go to Renee, she'll say yes, you know, and you become like, go to Renee and she'll, she'll, she'll be honest with you, you know, about whether or not it's, it's going to work for her or not, or she can really deliver that in the way that she wants to. So, um, you know, it, you, you sort of have to shift a couple of mindsets. You have to focus on yeah. quality over quantity, you know, choice over being a victim to your circumstances. But once you do it and you start to see, oh my God, the world still loves me. <laughs> um, I'm able to put more into this or look at me. I'm, I'm sleeping better. Whatever your markers are, um, they will show up pretty quickly. And for me, that reinforced my journey. And I put my TED talk out there. You know, many would say like, oh, is that another thing to do? No, that was a chosen goal. I really, really wanted to be on that stage because I, but I wanted to be on my stage with a message of healing, a message of a possibility for people. I wanted my idea to, to be part of my bigger bigger portfolio of work. And so that's what it's become. That's why I'm here with you today. And, you know, and I hope if I can just kind of help one person release their attachment to doing so that they can show up more healthy, more present, more whole, um, more authentic, it's all been worth it. Absolutely. No, that's so, so good. Last thing I wanted to pick your brain on is how you now go about actually scheduling your days, what that practically looks like for you. Because I know we mentioned before hitting record for me personally, I'm so practical and visual to a fault where if someone will be like, just do X, Y, Z, I'm like, but how, what does it look like? (laughs) Like break it down in terms of what actual processes or practices work the best for you now, especially since it takes a lot of undoing literally and rewiring to get to this place. And especially, especially when you first start, maybe for you now, still, it's like an ongoing intention and effort. Hopefully that takes less effort, the, the better you get and the more you practice it. But what does that actual process now look like for you? Mm-hmm. One of the things I got really protective about very quickly is hours of the day hours of the week. And my business coach who I had probably like year three coming out, she's like, what is this? And she was a three. She's like, what is this attachment to 20 hours? I was like, I don't want to be on the hook more than 20 hours a week to somebody else. I, I still love my career. I still have lots to do, right? Like this is also not just about like wanting early retirement. Although if I won the lottery, which I don't play, that would be awesome. Um, I would still, I would still show up in the world with my gifts. You know, I would still be growing in my trade. That said, 20 hours is one of my boundaries. And some weeks, like if I'm running a four day workshop or I'm, you know, overseas and teaching a course or something like that, of course, I'm working more than that. But really my, my kind of tried and true boundary around my precious time and my calendar is 20 hours. So that's one way. And, um, that creates a lot of white space. And so for those of you who are like, Oh my God, white space, what do I do in that? Or maybe, Oh, look at that white space. I can fill it with something else. You know, it allowed me to, to sort of be more spontaneous. Like, you know, those girlfriend lunches that I never could go to. And they call in the morning and say, you want to grab lunch today? And I'm like, yes. For 25 years, I was like, Oh, I wish that would be nice. Wow. That you get to do that. Right. It was like, now I'm the girl who gets to do that. Um, so that's one, another practical thing that I do. I, um, I look at my kids' calendars and I schedule nothing during the weeks they're off, like spring break, ski break, summer. I can't do that. Right. It's almost three months, but for the most part, I block off these large chunks of time. And I, um, I lived in Switzerland for five years. And one of the practices they have to keep people healthier and well is one, they don't work on weekends. They just don't. In fact, I moved to Switzerland. I was working on weekends, pushing my emails out, looking like, you know, Hey, look at me. And my boss said, um, 
he didn't say I will kill you, but he pretty much said, if you send me one more email on the weekend, I'm going to send you back to California. I mean, he was like, so crystal clear that that was such a violation. So like, imagine, right? One experience is like, what do you mean? You, I, I sent you an email Saturday at midnight. You haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Sunday at 8 a.m. Are you right? Like that is one extreme. And the other is like, I'll, I'll, I'll literally send you back home if you do this anymore. Um, he, and then he said, you know, he was so bold. He goes, you don't look good when you do that. You look actually like, I feel sorry for you. I mean, he was so clear. Um, and so having that sort of other perspective that there are such different ways to show up and work in the world is one. And so what are those new practices that you can learn from other people? So I started to watch, how could I not work on the weekend? How could I not send emails at 11 at night? You know, it started with, okay, I'll stock all my, my emails and I'll have them hit go at eight o'clock on Monday. And then of course he's like, I see what you've done, you know? So just being light on yourself, but really working towards it is another thing. Like, what are those practices that I can do to create real space? And the other thing that they require from their workers is you have to take at least two full weeks off. So that taught me like, oh, that is so I don't burn out. I really need at least two full weeks off a year because it does take a while to sort of step away from the grind and actually finally relax. So I take a lot of big chunks of time. And then maybe a third thing is um, sleep. I just completely had, I have a second Ted talk called confessions of an insomniac, which I haven't put out there yet because I don't know how many years I want to talk about being an insomniac. Um, but, um, I think it's an epidemic and I think that our devaluation of sleep has created a host of systemic issues physically, relationally, and otherwise. And so I, I sat down with, um, Huffington's book sleep Revol revolution on my nightstand. And I just, from one insomniac to the other, just unpacked what did this woman do to come into a, a positive relationship with sleep? So that is a big one. And maybe one more pause before yes, just a second, just, yeah, I'd love to, or, you know, I, I would like to, but I can't right now, or thank you so much, but no, no, just have a different answer, but you have to pause. You have to pause. And again, I just pause for, for kind of impact. It doesn't have to be that long and it might be, let me sleep on it. So sometimes yes, but most of the day-to-day -day decisions, we can kind of do a quick check-in our bodies, maybe our hearts, our heads, just a couple seconds and then respond. Yes. And today's society, it makes you feel like you have to immediately react immediately, just engage just because it's literally how every social media algorithm is pushing us to behave. <laughs> but it doesn't actually have to be that way. You are allowed to take a deep breath and pause and thoughtfully answer things. And that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. And watch people who say, oh my gosh, how did you learn that? How did you learn that? Or thank you so much. I really appreciate you not doing this out of obligation, but doing this out of contribution or, yeah. you know, the world starts to respond positively. It does. I promise you at first they're good. They might be shocked. Wait, what? What do you mean? You're not going to go to dinner or do that or whatever, but the world starts to envy you for different, yeah. for different ways of showing up in the world. And I don't say envy as if that's what you're after, but that's what you're now teaching. And I was complicit being a leader who portrayed success as doing, 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 doing. And I just refused to live my life one more minute portraying that. Okay. So Renee, I want to get things wrapped up by asking you something. I ask all guests on thrive, which is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive now in your everyday life? Hmm. Thrive to me has closely related to freedom. 
Um, and for again, your Enneagram listeners, that doesn't surprise you as a seven, that freedom would be important to me. And freedom to me really is about making choices that align who I am with what I do. Um, freedom is being able to show up um, in and around um, you know, people that matter to me, places that matter in a way that is authentic and true, that doesn't take effort um, to just show up and be me. And you know, thriving also is being healthy, physically healthy, emotionally, spiritually healthy, and having um, for me big, my, my personal mission statements to leave a legacy of love through my relationship with others. So to not have that be just what I say, but how I live my life. And that what I'm remembered for most is my ability to deeply connect and to, to be present with people that I love and to um, hold people and give people space to be who they are and just to be in kind of deep connection. Um, and maybe lastly, thriving for me is doing the work when life requires it. You know, showing up fully for me is like, you know, today's a hard day, be with that. You know, today's an easy day, welcome that, you know, and just being present to, you know, what the universe has going on in and around me and being part of something bigger and not getting wrapped up in all my own stuff. You know, I'm really imprisoned by that. So um, I think that's why I kind of lead Thrive in Freedom is like, you know, freedom to, to, to choose, but also freedom to be with the hard stuff and to, to do it in a way that is um, useful for me and anyone else that's touched by me. So. And what's, what I really just feel listening to all of that is it's like, it feels like that's kind of the definition of doing it all and having it all. And I feel like when you're a doer, that totally does not seem like the end goal. And you're on such a limited and constrictive path and you just don't really see it as that yet. And now that you're on this other side, it's like, I'm just hearing everything you're saying. And I'm like, wow, like that's, that is what's having it all. And you're literally doing less but it's just in such a, in such a matter of intention that brings it all together in such a beautiful, holistic way where now your life is probably so much fuller and healthier and happier than it was before. And, and I'm just better to be with. Let's be honest. Yeah. I think about her and I think, gosh, she must've been tough to be around. You know, <laughs> I was so high energy and ideas were just coming out and oh my gosh, you know, I was just busy. It must've been tiring for people. <laughs> Sorry, any of my friends, family, colleagues are listening like, oh, come, come have a coffee with me. We'll just take a long walk. And that's pretty awesome yeah. to be able to value myself for that instead of just the other stuff. So, yeah, that's what's, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on Thrive and sharing this with everyone, because I'm sure that this has resonated deeply with a lot of folks. Tell everyone where they can find you online to connect with you more. Uh, see your TED talk books, all that jazz. Okay. Um, my website's reneedeneen.com. You can find all my stuff there. Um, I, my Instagram is Renee M Deneen. So um, there's an M in there for my middle name and LinkedIn also. Um, but I would also, my TED talk is um, authentic in action. I'm doing the doing in a do crazy world. It's on the TED platform as well as YouTube. That's probably enough. Yeah. <laughs> just type in Renee Deneen. I'm sure you'll find lots of fun little things. Um, I do have my book is the art and truth of transformation for women. It's actually an anthology. Um, I had the opportunity to, um, kind of share my story with a bunch of other women who really kind of transform their lives from the inside out. So it's an inspirational read, easy read. And if you like kind of those anthology type and um, individual stories for inspiration, um, you can pick that up in on Amazon. Awesome. 
Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.